When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Get an extra three months of ExpressVPN free by going to expressvpn.com slash missionlog. That's expressvpn.com slash missionlog for three extra months free. expressvpn.com slash missionlog. This episode of Mission Log is also sponsored by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 489, Alter Ego. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we look beneath the surface of an episode of Star Trek, peeling back the layers to get to the heart and seeing what's really there, and then we ask ourselves and each other if it can stand the test of time. This week, Alter Ego, the one where Harry's got a girlfriend, sort of, and so does Tuvok sort of, but it's the same woman, and she's not really who she says she is. It's complicated. Yeah, even more complicated when she's got a weapon that can vaporize Voyager. Hey, we've all got friends like that. I know I have. Nobody's perfect. And we're going to get right into John's trivia in a moment, but first I'm going to let you know where you can contact us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. I was going to get into the trivia in a second, but... I lied. We're going to have it in a moment, but first, a word from one of our sponsors, and that is you. Me? How about you? How about us? Uh, how about all? How about us? How about everybody who has joined us on Patreon? And what's great is everybody who has joined us on Patreon is automatically joining us on Discord, because that's how you get your link to join our Discord community. And, uh, you know, we do talk about that as a community. We talk about the quality of conversation there. I was so happy, Norman, to read a comment just the other day from someone who said, thank you to us and thank you to the community for having a nice place to go where conversations can have different points of view, but always be respectful. That that just warmed my heart. Because it was somebody who showed up to be part of that conversation and just really got it. You know, the evolution of our, our Patreon in a nutshell, especially our Discord, we wanted to do something special for the community. And it was during COVID and everyone was locked down and everyone was separated. So you and I said, 
let's do something that can bring everyone together in the same conversation. And we used to do these live meetings once, maybe twice a month on a weekend. And then the community kind of took it from there. And we gave them the tools <laughs> yeah. to do it, you know, with Discord. And uh, we gave them the framework, but they really, they really breathed the life into the community. And it's, it's really a credit to everyone that has joined uh, as to how robust and, and how personable Discord has become. Yeah. So some people may join us on Patreon solely for the swag, because we do have some cool swag there that you can only get as a Patreon member. Some may join us because they like getting the early access to our unedited shows. And those are fun. We just sort of hang out for a little while and you hear everything behind the scenes. But other people join us specifically for that Discord community. And whatever it is that floats your boat, whatever it is that is the appeal, you can get access to all of that at whatever support tier feels comfortable for you. So uh, before we go any further, big thank you. We've had a, a recent boom in people joining us on Patreon. So thank all of you. Most recently, Gregory, Wendy, Tate, Lee, Morgan, Megan. And I love this, Norman, for you, Babylon 5 for the first time. Because mm -hmm. what I love about that is that they recognize that our community has live conversations and chat throughout the week and it's not just about star trek it can be b5 twilight zone the orville we're just talking about cons and get-togethers there's something there for everybody yeah and i'm really flattered that they joined their podcasters professional in their own right and i'm i'm glad and i hope they participate in our babylon 5 live chat because you know it's one of the features that we have for our discord members along with a lot of other robust uh, content and Please see us there. Yeah, so join us at patreon.com slash mission log. Again, that's patreon.com slash mission log, and that is your key to join us in the mission log discord. And now, here's John Champion with this week's trivia. At last. All right. Alter Ego was written by Joe Minoski. Maybe not a surprise there, given the heavy sci-fi bent of this one and the explorations into the layers of the characters. In fact, early on, this was pitched as a Harry Kim, Tom Paris story, but the shift to Tuvok allowed Joe to dig more deeply into the emotional life or lack thereof of Voyager's primary Vulcan. And uh, it was directed by Robert Picardo. Now, we all know a great deal about Bob's acting career on Star Trek and elsewhere, but his list of directorial credits is rather short. You're looking at half of it with this episode. Now, Bob, like others in the cast, expressed a desire to direct, and he thought he might actually beat Robbie to it, but at last he got his first chance with Alter Ego and had to acclimate himself to the role. Uh, he found the job very difficult at first, but by the end he had changed his tune and he welcomed the work, along with welcoming the scene where the doctor gets smooched on the holodeck. <clears throat> yeah, rough job there. Uh, now, Bob only directs one more Voyager episode coming up in season six, and that will wrap up his professional directing career so far in film and television. And uh, you may have already noticed this if you watched the episode before listening to our show. Yeah, Garrett was sick while filming this episode, and you can tell. So, uh, kids, don't go to work when you're sick. You'll just infect everyone else. I hope they were 
safe on the set. Let's meet our guest stars. This week, we meet a new character for the first time who we met last week. That would be Vorik, played by Alexander Enberg. And we mentioned that this is the first of his Voyager episodes to be filmed, even though he first appeared to audiences when Fair Trade was the first of his episodes to air. Then there is Morena, who is our primary focus this week. Just one of the alter egos on display here, depending on how you're looking at it. She is played by Sandra Nelson, and if you don't recognize the face, it's because we first met her as Klingon Tavana in the DS9 episode Soldiers of the Empire. That episode aired only a few months after this one. Sandra got her start in front of the camera in the early 90s and later on would spend a lot more time on TV as a regular in The Young and the Restless. You may also have caught her in features like Enough and The Wolf of Wall Street. So far, this and DS9 are her only Trek appearances. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant home of the most dangerous tiki bar in the universe. Spring for one of the really expensive drinks. It might be your last. Prologue. Hey, who wants to see an inversion nebula? Sure you do. And Captain Janeway is going to make sure we all stick around to take a good look at this very odd, stable, but beautiful one. Harry Kim seems a little distracted from his duties, though, and much later in Tuvok's quarters seeks guidance on how to suppress his emotions. Tuvok is playing the complex, concentration-heavy Vulcan game of Kalto, but he stops when he hears what Harry has to say, that he is in love with Morena, a holodeck character. Act 1. Tuvok's got Harry's number. The ensign has got the lovesick bad, and the only prescription is a regimen of logic and mental exercises. They'll start with a little observation in Club Bro Med, where Tuvok can meet the hollow woman himself. Neelix is in there busily setting up for a luau later, and when Morena shows up, she's pleased to see Harry and charmed to meet Tuvok. She's been off teaching Kess how to hydrosail, but she insists that they both come back for the luau. It was all Tuvok needed to read Harry like a book. The guys got it bad, and it can only end with a stable relationship or in a tragic mess. Harry realizes she's a holodeck simulation and knows he needs to call it off. Back on the bridge, Tuvok and Harry return just in time to see a plasma strand in the nebula ignite and in a flash of subatomic activity throw off a bunch of heat and light. Act 2. Surprisingly, the plasma burned out, but the nebula remained stable. Very odd. The whole thing should have burned out, and maybe the answer to that question could lead to some useful tech, like keeping in a warp core breach if the need ever arises. But now it's party time. On their way to the Luau in their Aloha wardrobe, Tom and Balana split up so she can escort Vorek, and Tom can retrieve Harry who happens to be sitting in his room doing Vulcan meditations. Tom scoffs at the idea of needing to go this far to shake off an attraction to Morena, and insists that he come to the party. Tuvok arrives before Harry, and if he's not in the spirit enough to accept a lay from Neelix, he is very curious to see Morena by herself playing Kalto. She says maybe sometime Tuvok would like a real opponent, and that's why she was intrigued to learn. 
She also points out that Tuvok is the only one not wearing a lei, a sign of his public but quiet protest of the party. As other partygoers mingle, Vorik and Belana take dinner together, leaving Tom free to catch up with Harry, but Harry leaves quickly when he spots Tuvok deep in conversation with Morena. The conversation must have been a good one because well after the party is over, these two are still at it. It's more intellectually intimate now. She discusses why she loves hydrosailing and draws a parallel to Tuvok's inner emotional life, an observation he finds intriguing. As Morena gets closer and asks him to stay, Tuvok insists that it's late and he needs to return to his quarters, but he is intrigued by her. As he exits, Morena has a self-satisfied half-smile on her face, and in the corridor, Tuvok ends the resort program. Act 3. Weird Nebula is still weird. Those plasma filaments ignite, but Voyager's crew have discovered a kind of dampening field that activates every time, keeping those filaments from destroying the whole thing. This is the data they came for, and it might be something the ship can replicate through the deflector dish, even if they can't find a source for the dampening field. Harry is still distracted, but he'll work on it. When Janeway gives the command to pull away from the nebula, though, a funny thing happens. Nothing. The ship's systems are working, but nothing is happening. That leads Harry to engineering, where all systems are go, so it must be an internal communications error with the computer. Balana, seeing Harry's lack of concentration, tells him to take a break. And he does, in the holodeck. There, he finds Morena and Tuvok deep in a game of Kalto, which triggers a jealous reaction. Tuvok and Morena both try to explain, but Harry isn't having it. Even when Tuvok deletes the Morena computer subroutine, Harry just walks off, saying he should never have trusted him. Back on the bridge, Voyager is still going nowhere fast, until Bellana can at least get aft thrusters to respond. And it's just enough to start inching away from the nebula. Back at his quarters, Tuvok walks in to find a surprise visitor. There, in a Starfleet uniform and playing Kalto, is none other than Morena. Act 4. Obviously, deleting the file didn't take. Morena says she moved herself from the holodeck to sickbay and then absconded with the EMH's mobile emitter. She says she likes Harry, but Tuvok is different, exciting, and new and she can't go back to her existence without him. Being the sensitive soul that he is, Tuvok calls for security, but when they arrive, Morena just ends her own program, leaving the emitter behind. With this new turn of events, the senior staff tries to put together the pieces. Could she be a hollow character that has gained sentience? It's happened before, but why this one? And what is she up to? Tuvok suspects it's his relationship with her, somehow, and it all probably has something to do with the fact that the problem started when Voyager arrived at the nebula. A small crew goes to the holodeck to look for Morena, but as soon as Balana starts tinkering with the computer, she finds that there is an external uplink coming from a ship hidden in the nebula. The closer she gets to pinpointing it, the Luau hosts turn violent, fruit flying, tiki torches at arms, lays garroting. 
The crew managed to escape by shooting the control panel, but as they leave the holodeck, the plasma filaments in the nebula get stronger, barraging the ship and knocking shields down blow by blow. Above it all, there's Morena's voice calling over the ship's comms for Tuvok to come back to her. She makes her demands that Tuvok come back to the holodeck alone, or she will destroy Voyager. Act 5. In the holodeck, Morena greets Tuvok, but on the bridge, Milana reports that they have a fix on Morena's hidden location. With an order, Tuvok beams over to that hidden station in the nebula and finds the real Morena, a quasi-reptilian alien, at the controls of the station for her nebula, and a very different visage from the Tiki Party hollow character he had met before. She says that she is in control of the flaring and subsequent dampening of those plasma filaments, and she can destroy Voyager with one more burst— if Tuvok doesn't agree to stay with her. In a word, she's lonely. She volunteered to run this station to preserve the nebula, but she scans passing ships and learns what she can about the inhabitants. She was intrigued by the holodeck, and Tuvok in particular, and desperately wants him to stay. But as Tuvok explains, he could never return that affection if he is kept there as a bargain for Voyager's crew. Plus, He's got a wife and kids back on Vulcan, so can he go now? Morena understands, and sadly, she disarms the plasma flare and allows Tuvok to return. Before he does, he encourages Morena to go home, to socialize, and allow someone else to take her job for a while. And she agrees it's only logical. Back in his quarters, Tuvok sits alone, playing Kalto, but then takes his game to the holodeck to offer to teach Harry Kim how to play. It's Tuvok's subtle apology, followed by a more direct apology, for failing to take Harry's emotions into consideration. The end. Nice recap there, John. And I think that... I think that you are, are pleasantly surprised with the return of a certain Vulcan alter ego, ego oh, altered. Buzzkill Tuvok. I, I have missed you, my friend. We didn't get a lot of Tuvok in the last couple of episodes. And man, just to have Tuvok come in and, you know, not want to go to a party. <laughs> that's I've been waiting for that for a while. Good to see you again, my friend. If we were doing this as a sitcom, is he being followed around by the obligatory trombone? <laughs> yes, yes. Debbie Downer. Yes, exactly. So why is Tuvok getting shade thrown at him? Because he doesn't experience things as emotionally as his human counterparts do. I mean, he's a Vulcan. They know this. Yeah, right? it's a little bit of like, uh, hey, why aren't you doing the thing that we expect you to do because it's for us? Why, why aren't you yeah. reacting the way we're reacting? <laughs> a little it's unfair. only human. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. is, right? mm-hmm. I do dig Chakotay's sub-science station that's on the side. Yeah. And he's, John, he was doing science. <laughs> he was. And if he keeps doing it, there might be actual advances in the field of science. We can only hope. I got to say, this episode is the introduction of Kauto, which we have heard reference. You know, we will hear referenced after this and used after mm-hmm. this. It is so wonderfully complex, kind of a beautiful little prop. And honestly, I, I want to get to the bottom of it because uh, I, I was just glad to see it. And I like the different effects that they then morph on top of that when somebody reaches a different level in the game. 
I mean, that's well done. The CGI on that is well done. Do you think that it would be easier to play Kalto with brighter quarters? Because is it ever well lit in Tuvox quarters? Like ever? The guy must have very sensitive eyes. Yeah, it's I guess it's, it's a little weird, you know. I do love Tuvok's description. Like, of course, the Vulcans have a different word for everything. The Shanha Lock, mm-hmm. the engulfment. It is the most intense and psychologically perilous form of Eros. And I'm like, yeah, let's bring that on. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I don't know if this is Garrett being sick or him channeling something. But mm-hmm. as an Asian male... I was 100% in tune and identified with his Asian male awkwardness when it came to uh, Marina because him standing there and just feeling that come through the screen. Yeah. It's either he's really projecting that or his acting is just that good or both. But yeah, I'm going to I'm going to bring that up later on because there is a certain truth to that. Okay, good. I I want you to because I I've got a different set of questions about some of these scenes too here's a much more pressing question at the moment though they go into the holodeck and neelix is there with hollow characters holding the paper lantern why would one need to set up a party in the holodeck don't you just tell the holodeck what you want like why why do you need to go in there and tell somebody move that lamp let me hold it here it's like no you just tell the holodeck just program the holodeck now it's party time he literally said like i that, is that centerpiece really that big then he goes into the parameters and changes it right exactly so, exactly yeah. strange I let there's some great dialogue in this episode you forgot to rsvp that was not an oversight i assure you <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. That's right. That is Buzzkill Tuvok. Cannot wait to use that in my real life. Amazing. But honestly, all of those moments between Tuvok and Harry are great. Just some cracking dialogue in those. So Harry says, I can't have a balanced, stable relationship with a holodeck character. Morena's a computer program. She could never feel for me for what I feel for her. Well, technically, can't you just program the hologram to do that? Like Neelix programmed his hollow simulation to be the party setup that he wanted it to be i mean yes yeah that's what a holodeck does yep right? yep exactly i i have much to say about that but also you know just a shout out to libby because i don't <laughs> think libby's in the picture anymore I, I, so libby is somewhere in my notes <laughs> we'll definitely uh maybe bring up her name again yes also have to say that i it, goading tuvok to the luau was uh, okay i get your point about why are they pushing him to do something he clearly doesn't want to do that's not for him but his reaction to that is great because tim is just another master of the reaction uh, Mm -hmm. holding it you know playing it close to the chest but you can still tell exactly what is feeling underneath here's a big question though okay why is it in star trek that they don't have like dimmers, like automatic dimmers on the view screen. Because you right. would think when like some type of flare up would occur, sensors, since they are talking about like, the sensors are sensing that this is going to happen, this big yeah. explosion or whatever is going to happen, you would think the sensors would trigger the view screen to just not be as bright. Because right. that is like a, like blinding a crew for that little bit of a time could be catastrophic. Like, I can't see my controls. What do we do? Oh, the <laughs> ship explodes. 
<laughs> or here's right. the thing. How about we, we go back to the guys who were installing that view screen and calibrating it when the ship was being built. And they're like, hey, should we have the contrast ratio set this high and the brightness set this high? <laughs> like, couldn't that be dangerous? Like, no, 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 no. They need to really feel it when they're out in space. Yeah. So just like, keep that cranked up to 11. Please, yeah. You can see them at like Mars shipyards. Like, so, hey, Pauly, um, did they get the tinted package on this or not? <laughs> no, no, they didn't get the tinted no, no, package. No, no. Ah, too yeah. bad. This this would have looked sweet with tinted package. No. <laughs> right. It was an extra 10,000 quatloos. They didn't want to spring for that. Yeah. Let's talk about fashion here a little bit. Bolana's dress, excellent. Yeah. Tom's mm-hmm. shirt, uh, I, I was not digging that. I really like Harry's shirt. Tom's not yes. so much. Yeah, I thought it was a little weird, but trying Janeway's... He was trying too hard. He was. He was, he was, he was trying, trying too hard to be American authentic. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it, it was not working. Janeway's dress, awesome. So cool. Look great on her. Great pattern. And that whole tiki scene, I got to say that opening shot, I think this is where Bob Picardo got to play around a little bit as director, that opening shot with the tiki torches coming back and then going to the masks. And it just everything looked great. And it was so much better than our typical club bro med. You know, also, um, speaking of Janeway's uh, attire, she had literally like the best accessory on her arm the entire evening. That was Chakotay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just saying. There you go. He looks great. I'm just, I know that's a joke, but yeah, he looked great too. Like his, his light blue, his uh, pale blue Hawaiian shirt looked fantastic. Yep. Agreed. Sorry. I think think we're designing a group cosplay right now because this is all looking good. I'm just going to say right now. Oh, I love, I love Harry's man. Yeah. Yeah. That's like all my aesthetic. Tom shirt and all. Tom shirt. Not it. Not taking it. No, no. Uh, I would rather see you in Bolana's dress than in Tom's shirt. I, I to would. T- well, hey, you know, we'll talk. <laughs> so Vorik's going to the Luau, but Tuvok's not. So they're both Vulcan, yeah. right? So they yeah. uh, do they not have the same attitude about these events? You know what I would love to see is a Vulcan logic argument pro and con about going to the party because Vorik would just be it's logical to go party with your crew. It's logical to hang out with your crewmates and blah, blah, blah. And Tuvok says, logical for me to sit at home and play Kalto. Like they, they would just logic it out yeah. and nobody would win. I would be delighted by that. <laughs> I love Morena's line. I think you're trying to isolate yourself and make a public protest at the same time. I just love everything about that line, how she cuts right to Tuvok's core in one sentence. Really nicely done, Joe Minoski. You know, it also cuts the core with one sentence. Yep. Tom says to Harry, Harry, we've all fallen for a holiday character. It happens. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, so much to discuss from that one line of dialogue. I think we'll um, come back to it. And I mentioned uh, Jane Wayne Chakotay in their, uh, was it post resolutions, non resolutions? Oh, uh, yeah, there we go. Comfort level around each other. Yes. Yeah. And apparently in front of the crew. So I, I think maybe we still have it resolved entirely what that's about. Um, she grabbed his arm and kind of she, led him around the party. She did. She did. It was so yeah. cute. Here's a great line in the holodeck when Morena says, I'm sure the weather will hold. And Tuvok says, no doubt. I just, cold, I love that little exchange. Cold. Love yeah. that exchange. I, I got to say, man, they aren't. It will be come back for Act 3. It wasn't like a mind-blowing effect. Just so shots of Voyager flying slowly across the nebula. Very pretty. Mm-hmm. Like, well-lit. Yeah, really nice looking. Mm-hmm. And man, I gotta say, even with the single line, like, it appears that we're not moving, Mr. Paris. 
it just reiterates to me, do not disappoint Janeway in any way possible. It's all about the tone at the end of Act 3, you know, before transitions. Mm-hmm. So we see Morena wearing the Doc's emitter, and I was thinking to myself, this can't be good. <laughs> Her appropriating the Doc's 29th century hologram emitter? Yeah. This is... This is a sentient now character run amok. Does that thing not have an air tag on it or something? You would think that it would be harder (laughs) to steal than that. But the Federation, I mean, they're incredibly trusting, you know, with their technology. So no passwords. They turn off all their passwords, fingerprint, face ID, all that stuff doesn't exist in the Federation. Very true. So I love that when Chakotay said uh, about uh, Morena, most likely a sentient computer program. I checked the Starfleet database. This kind of thing has happened before. The Enterprise D under Picard was once taken over by a hollow character. So you would think <laughs> that when the flagship was taken over by a hollow character some, I don't know how many years ago, mm-hmm. don't you think that Starfleet would have initiated some kind of protocol or program or subroutine to stop this from happening again? You would think. I, you would think that. Um, I, I guess the only thing they couldn't account for was alien influence from another place. Because I, I guess Morena could sort of hide her tracks because she wasn't generated by the holodeck. I mean, that's the only way that I can do a little bit of hand-waving to say that this is different. But I'm going to raise a slightly yeah. different point, and folks, you can write in and, uh, and debate this point if you want. Um if I remember correctly, when we go back to Ship in a Bottle, Moriarty, even though Chakotay describes it as that one time the Enterprise D was taken over, but the reveal in Ship in a Bottle is that Moriarty was inside the holodeck, inside a holodeck simulation of the Enterprise. It wasn't just that right. he got to roam the halls of the Enterprise and take it over. Oh, no, 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 no. That was a complex enough situation that he was in the ship, but inside a bottle. So then all you have to do is, uh, you know, put the guy in a box on your desk and look, souvenir time. So, yeah. So maybe that wasn't a thing that they had quite figured out or expressed correctly uh, uh, to Starfleet at the time. What's interesting to me in all of this is that they can't figure it out. It's like they can't get enough access to their own computer systems to figure out what's going on. But then I guess that's how we have the drama of the story. The other thing here that's maybe even more interesting to me is that remember now that Morena is taking this uh, holodeck avatar of herself and using it to go through the ship's communications and control systems. And she can just do that, which means that it's a system that is, yes, in communication with Voyager's computer. You know, whenever we bring this up, we get emails from people saying, no, 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 they're separate. You don't understand how computers work. But like literally Mm -hmm. every time this happens or like the EMH just pops up on another monitor, yeah, it's the same computer. Might be a different program, but that program has the ability to talk to other programs and just sort of right. make itself appear wherever. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's quite as clean as just, uh, you know, launching and then quitting Microsoft Word. Uh, I'm not buying it. Well, again, it, it, it goes back to my original question. If this thing is a hologram mm-hmm. and it can move through the ship via holographic technology turned into so many different ones and zeros. Yeah. 
then you would think that there would be kind of like, you know, Starfleet McAfee trying to, like, root it out somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> right, you know, right, an Antivirus right. program. Yeah, because it could, it could um, just go into wherever it wants and like, oh, hey, I'm going to mess with the control systems and I'm going to show up on the comm system. Yep. Speaking of uh, trying to uh, read out the problem, when Janeway says to her crew, it's like, I want this situation resolved one way or another, that Starfleet for delete the program. <laughs> it sure is. It absolutely is. Ooh, ooh, can I point out how much I love that the holodeck computer is always just integrated into the hollow environment? So, like, remember in mm. Janeway's weird 19th century manor house, that control computer is just in a wooden cabinet? So, here's my question is that computer always in the same place or does it move with the environment? So like whatever the environment is, you then have to have a physical thing there to contain that computer. And for that matter, why isn't it just by the door? Like it is, you go through the arch, right? you, you make a hard right and there's the computer. No, 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 they have to go to a column that's like in the middle of the set to get to it, but it's there. You just got to find it. How do it. you find it? I, I, right? I know, how? <laughs> it's like, it's like a TARDIS, like taking the shape of something like in, in a jungle, you know, it's like, oh, the TARDIS is going to turn into a tree uh, right. you know, with a door. How do you find the door if it's a tree right. amongst other trees? Right. I guess that's a, you know, timey-wimey thing. Yeah. Uh, so the crew getting attacked by the holodeck hostesses, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a whole new angle of getting laid. Somebody had to say, I'm so glad you had that in your notes because otherwise I would have had to. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Timestamp. 36 minutes, 33 seconds. Chakotay says shields are down to 47%. There's your 47 reference. See, just like that. If Chakotay didn't say it out loud, we would have had to have filled it in for him. So, yeah. Right. We would have just made it up just so we can have a 47 Mm -hmm. reference for our episode. Yep. Yep. I love the set of uh, Mariana Station. So, yeah, we mentioned this before uh, in Fair Trade, you know, uh, with the kind of like the Moss Eisley type of industrial set that they created for the manager or director of the station but it has this wonderful kind of industrial futuristic kind of look to it and that this is very consistent with herman zimmerman so i really like that we're seeing even in every other subsequent series the herman zimmerman effect or the herman zimmerman signature of production design i know we call it the rick berman era but for me I call this the Herman Zimmerman era because it's very consistent, very consistent look. I think there's a lot of people who would agree with you there. Got to say, on the bridge, Tom Paris, he's still showing the battle scars of the Tiki throwdown. That was uh, a good Mm -hmm. detail to keep on him. And then some more great dialogue here. You're more like me than you're like them. You isolate yourself in a crowd of people. We should be together. Very good stuff. And then at the very end, mm-hmm. a little funnier bit uh, with the hollow character asks Harry and uh, Tuvok, may I join you? No. <laughs> and then no, but thank you. Little little change of tone by Tuvok. Really lovely. Right. And I think that in this episode, probably more than most, you really get to see this masterclass of understanding the character. Tim really knows Tuvok. He knows how to convey compassion even through a Vulcan veneer. And when you do that, it translates into something special. Wanted, custodian of a public art installation several light years across. Quiet working conditions. Must be okay with working alone. We'll get right back to Coda after a word from this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Hey, uh, I don't mean to sound inappropriate here, but um, <clears throat> let's 
let's talk. Uh, when you go to the oh. bathroom, yeah, yeah. When, when you're in the bathroom, uh, you close the door behind you, right? Like always, every time. Please, please tell me you do. Because you don't want random passers-by looking in on you, say? Uh, so close and lock. Yeah, yeah. close, lock, <laughs> close do, and do the whole lock. thing. Deadbolt, if you got it. Um, mm-hmm. So why would you let people look in on you when you go online? Uh-huh. See the parallel mm-hmm. there? So your online privacy is important, and that's why we use ExpressVPN, and I'm here to tell you that's why you should too. I mean, using the internet without a VPN is like going to the bathroom and not closing the door or locking the door or deadbolting the door mm-hmm. or making sure that people just don't walk in on your business, right? Yeah. So if your internet service provider knows every single website you visit, that's what's happened. That's what's happening when you don't lock your door. They can sell this information to ad companies and tech giants who then use your data to target you. And that's embarrassing, just like being walked in on <laughs> in the bathroom. ExpressVPN creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so your online activity can't be seen by anyone. And it works on phones, laptops, routers, you know, your devices that actually are protected by ExpressVPN. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi is, in fact, protected. And all you have to do is fire up ExpressVPN using the app and click the one button to lock all of your business down, just like locking that bathroom door. Same thing. So get an extra three months of ExpressVPN free by going to expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash mission log for three extra months free. Expressvpn.com slash mission log. Hello, my name is Tawny Newsom. I play Beckett Mariner on Star Trek Lower Decks. I am Paul F. Tompkins, and I play Dr. Miglimo on Star Trek Lower Decks. But more importantly, we're just a couple of Star Trek nerds who are excited because we finally get to talk about Star Trek again with all of you. And we will be featuring Deep Space Nine guests to celebrate the show's 30th anniversary. We're going to be talking Picard Season 3 with members of the original The Next Generation cast. Listen to Star Trek The Pod Directive wherever you get your podcasts. Harry Kim. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's my note. <laughs> Harry Kim. Dot, dot, I, dot. I feel like... And yeah, then get dot, to the dot, bullet dot. points, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, I, I mean, it, truly, this is the episode to talk about the... You know, we didn't do the title game, like, picking apart what the title means. But I, I mentioned it before. I like the duality of the alter ego being who Morena actually is on the other side of the avatar. But I love exploring who Tuvok is underneath the disciplined Vulcan logical mind. Just a fabulous way of exploring both of these characters. They both are not exactly who they seem, and they're able to meet and connect on that. Okay, but all that aside, all that aside, Harry Mm -hmm. Kim... How do we handle the problem like Harry? You mentioned something earlier that I thought was very interesting, which is identifying with Harry's awkwardness. And believe me, as somebody who's been very awkward in emotional situations like that, I get it too. But I feel like we need to dig into Harry's character from another angle here as well. You did mention what happened to Libby. Right. I had that same note here, too. What happened to Libby? Because you'd at least think that there'd be a little bit of lip service to that. The weirdest thing to me was this, like, very 
teenager attitude that this response so I, I i don't even want to feel love anymore and I, I like i know that harry is the youngest guy on the ship but he's not 16 right you know there was something yeah. very odd about that to me that that almost took me out of the episode uh what, what is your take on what's happening with harry here real-time similarities aside I think that what they were doing with Harry was trying to give Tuvok a vehicle uh, to have these two particular personalities at the furthest extremes possible. We've mentioned before on the show how Tuvok and Harry respond to each other on the bridge. Tuvok will always kind of like undercut his enthusiasm because that's not what professional officers act like. We've seen that time and again. And we have actually mentioned that uh, when Janeway turns around and looks at both of their stations, she's literally dividing the space between Tuvok on one side and Harry on the other side and having like the adults in the middle try and mitigate the responses, the emotional interaction between these two characters. Tuvok being the extreme emotionless one, Harry being the most emotional one because of his young, uh, Mm -hmm. his youth uh, and his inexperience. But in this case, it is a little strange that a seasoned at least the seasoned officer by this point. I mean, you know, Harry understands that he has died and come back to life. I mean, I don't think that he's ever going to forget that. Uh, sure. should be so kind of like emotionally uh, immature at this stage where he kind of like walks into Tuvok in his private quarters. And obviously no one has locks or doorbells and says, I don't want to feel anything anymore. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Well, did you say that when you engaged Libby, when you became engaged to Libby? <laughs> you know, I mean, right. That's that's the hardest thing I think for any person to do is be able to make that kind of emotional commitment. So it brought up something in me that I tried to find the logic of the situation. I think that his reaction defies it because Morena is specifically conditioned by her controller. I should say the avatar of Morena mm-hmm. to make people feel a certain way in a very calculated, strategic manner. She knows exactly yeah. what to say how to say it, and how to put pressure on that emotional uh, that, that emotional plan that she has for this person in order for them to stay connected with them until the next person comes along. And I yeah. think we've seen this before. So I, I, I read this quote before, and I just want to kind of like put this into frame of reference. So Harry says that I can't have a balanced, stable relationship with a holodeck character. Marina is a computer program. She could never feel for me what I feel for her. How how does one fall in love with a holodeck simulated character? What does and and what defines falling in love? Because Mm. I know I know this is you asked me a question and basically your response is going to be, sir, this is a Wendy's because I know that I'm going on long, but (laughs) right, this this is me putting my arm around John and the wall of text just yeah, coming out right right, right. <laughs> no no, no but, but, but do go on because I, I i have an interesting thread to follow up on this with so yeah go ahead okay so let's go all the way back to the next generation let's go all the way back to one one zero zero one zero zero one let's go all the way back yes. to minuet minuet okay yeah this is similar to that where morena very much like minuet is able to make that deeper connection 
in order to stay emotionally connected with someone because that's what they need. Now, I don't think that's what Minuet needed with Riker, but it's certainly what uh, Marina needs with Harry because she's lonely, right? So you have that reference. You also have something akin to uh, The Perfect Mate's Kamala happening here as well. Mm. So mm-hmm. I-, I think that there are these interesting situations where the Star Trek writers want to create this almost like an isolationist issue with a character, this case, Harry and Tuvok, and create something that tries to bring them out of that comfort level. But at the same time, though, is very, very relatable because I think there are a lot of people watching it that, like myself, maybe you at one point in time, maybe members of our audience that see this and really say, that could be me or that has been me, right? Yeah. So you create these avatars in this digital space like we saw in Blade Runner 2, you know, where mm. or she, where they become this actual companion, but they're not. So what does that mean? And how do you fall in love with something that's not real? Okay, well, all right, let's let's split hairs for a moment, uh, as we are wont to do on Mission Log. Uh, first of all, I apologize. I just need to reach over here and uh, just need to grab the writer's hat for a moment. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna solve the Libby thing here for just a moment, and I think I'm gonna try to solve the Harry Kim lovesick teenager thing here for a minute, and just say that if. All we had was instead of a forlorn, dejected Harry Kim who can't get over the fact that he's falling in love, because that it, it plays very false to me. If instead he was truly a conflicted Harry Kim who needed to seek counsel because he was concerned about the idea of being attracted to or falling in love with a holodeck character because he's having trouble with the idea that he's 70,000 light years from home and he is also engaged to Libby, Libby, who is back home. You know, like these are character details that could have actually played to help in my connection to the character in this moment instead of Mm -hmm. just gumbifying Harry Kim into, oh, this week he's a lovesick teenager. Next week he's guy who came back from the dead, (laughs) you know? So I think that there are some very simple fixes that could have made his emotional reality a lot more relatable and a lot more realistic. Okay, but, 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 let's go back to something here about who Morena actually is, because we're referring to her as a holodeck character. She is, but she isn't. So remember, like, even Minuet... Minuet was a holodeck character, but Minuet was being played by the Binars. And the Binars were doing what Morena is doing here, which is stepping into this role, stepping into this avatar that just happens to be projected on the holodeck. So I think what's interesting is you've got the reality of the characters on Voyager who are looking at her saying, I mean, even Harry Kim says, we're talking about a holodeck character. And Tuvok, way back in Act 1, says, irrelevant. The emotional complex in which you were trapped is the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love this conversation that we get to have about experience and emotional experience being real, even if the source of the experience is not absolutely love this kind of conversation and Tuvok spells it out better than just about anybody ever has. Follow that up with, you know, Tom, you mentioned it before, uh, saying to Harry, come on, Harry, we've all fallen for a holodeck character. It happens. 
first of all, I love the acknowledgement that this is just kind of a thing. Right. This is just exactly. expected to happen. And it's sort of like, if you can draw a parallel at all, it's like being a kid and watching a movie or watching a TV show and just, and like having that crush on your favorite character. That's Have, a great you know, example. It, That's a great you know, example. Yeah. I love that. It's like, they're yeah. not real. They're not there in your living room, but boy, do you look forward to seeing that person again? Sure. <laughs> you know, you sure. feel that connection, that emotional connection is real, even if the circumstance, even if the intent of that is not. But I think we really have to get our grasp here on how much of that truly is Morena, the alien character who is speaking through this avatar, who is live who has a a truly emotional life who is a sentient being who is just projecting herself in there in order to play the holodeck character the way the binars played minuet or whatever you know yeah i mean that that's a great point and i, I think that uh, that leads into something else i wanted to say about is the holodeck or creating these holographic characters is this the ultimate form of enabling either good behavior mm. or bad behavior, right? Yeah. In other words, creating a fantasy character that's like the pixel-perfect representation of exactly who and what you desire, mm. it doesn't matter what species you are, it doesn't matter what belief system you are, it doesn't matter what sexuality you are, it doesn't matter, those are the parameters of which you create the program to satisfy you uh, in that way that no one, no living being or otherwise can. Because it's a fantasy. Like going all the way back to like my reference of what was it Blade Runner twenty forty nine, you know, there was an yeah. like basically the the nth degree version of Alexa, you know, that was interacting with Ryan Gosling's character in a way where this person was satisfying his wants, needs, and desires for companionship. Uh, we do that, again, with the projection of uh, how, we, uh, how we believe some of the characters uh, in our show are giving us this emotional through line you know, to the episodes that we watch and the, uh, the, the emotional roller coaster that we go through with characters to the point where we don't reference them as the actor anymore. We reference them as the characters. So there is some type of yeah. concern, I should say, with, say, the psychological repercussions of holographic characters that exact a certain uh, dependency from the people that either created them or fall in love with them or created this relationship with them. How do you manage that, you know, say on a starship where maybe you need counseling for that to disassociate yourself from the fantasy versus the reality? Because obviously mm. it's something that impacted Harry so immediately that mm -hmm. he had to seek professional advice through Tuvok in order to expunge that, you know, from his emotional being at that time. But isn't that interesting? She seems so real to him because she's real, because she is with intent going in there and manipulating his responses, manipulating what her relationship is to him in a way that I, I would assume a holodeck can't necessarily do on its own. The other thing that made me think of, though, is, look, let me preface this by saying that I have made many true friends in my life through 
the internet. I mean, I think we all have because it's simply a tool of communication that we all use now the way that maybe we used a phone or use other social tools, social technology in decades past. But something that that has given a rise to is, uh, I'm sure you've heard the term of a parasocial relationship where Mm -hmm. there is an assumption that there is a friendship and a relationship there because social media has made it look like there is a deep, true, meaningful friendship there. And that's something that I thought of because this back and forth with Morena forcing her friendship on Tuvok felt very uncomfortable to me, as it is designed to feel in the show, that she has just decided, okay, think of it in a parallel term now. She is cyber stalking who the people on Voyager are. She is looking into their lives as she has described that she's done this to other ships that pass by. She'll just figure out a way to worm her way into a computer system on board, learn everything that she can about them, and then present herself as someone very desirable and interactive with those people. And I thought it was so, you know, it was at once the truth that needed to be spoken, but also the heartbreak that needed to come. Tuvok saying to her, if you truly understood who and what I am, you would know that I could never return your affections. Mm -hmm. That was the cold slap of reality that needed to happen in that moment. He delivered it perfectly as only Tuvok can. But it, it put a button on what I feel is the discomfort of that type of parasocial relationship where it's completely one-sided and it is at its core, at its intent, a way to manipulate someone into that friendship or or possibly romantic relationship as was the desire here. Which, by the way, Tim Ross even I had read in some trivia that he even kind of put the brakes on telling Joe Minoski, like, look, this cannot look like Tuvok has a romantic interest in Morena because that is not true to the Tuvok character. And I'm so glad that he mm-hmm. he put his foot down on that because they, I think this would have played very differently if they hadn't uh, given themselves the sort of guidelines. I mean, I think we saw this before um, going back to the next generation. We saw this with Jordy and Leia Brahms and like his understanding oh, of yeah. programming the personality he believed Leia Brahms should have versus the yeah. reality of when they actually meet. And, and, and that, I think, is a very, um, you know, it, it's very similar to what you're saying here. There is the curated you know, personality that we believe is this person that we have become familiar with and, you know, uh, I guess, you know, in, in some way cultivated friendships with or social relationships and social dynamics with or a group of people. And then there's the actual reality. And I think that there may be, again, a point of concern where one fantasy doesn't stand up to or equal to the reality of when people actually meet the person they believe is supposed to be this particular personality type or have that kind of affection or have that type of exuberance or closeness, you know, that you that you see with a, a thumbs up, a like, a smiley face, an icon, you know, on social mm-hmm. media that says, oh, of course this person likes me because they engage with every single thing that I do. Well, they do that with 20,000 other people as well. So yeah. I, I think that there's a, definitely a cautionary, ta- a cautionary tale in place here about these types of, of avatars and the kind of emotional state that we put into them. 
The next time someone tries to slide into your private messages uninvited, be like Tuvok, be kind, but remind them they're being very illogical. Well, John, we've made it to the end of this episode, and you know what? I don't think either of us had to check our alter ego at the door, because I think... <laughs> I'm sorry. I usually don't break I, I think I'm jokes. pretty much the same guy from beginning to end in this episode, I think. I think. I don't know. I, I could check in with my alter ego and well, see we're if gonna, there's a different opinion. We're going to see if we had some learning moments with our egos, if they were in check or not. It really depends on uh, where we stand, either on top of the apple cart or sharing the apple cart or, I don't know, maybe not even using it at all. So... At the end of the episode, we look to see if the episode did hold up, did it withstand the test of time, and then do we see if we were able to mine any morals, meanings, or messages. So, John, ego check. How did you feel about alter ego? <laughs> look, uh, from the top-down view, the 30,000-foot view, I think this is a high-concept, really a romp at first, because you know we, we do take the diversion to have a tiki party battle at some point so like this is one of those balances out he has some heavy ideas he got the high concepts up and then you have just like fun weird action scenes in there too our characters get some very good moments and we we've hinted at it earlier that this is minuet meets moriarty in a way and it's always the question in star trek like there are only so many stories to go around how do you do a holodeck episode without doing a holodeck episode and they found another novel way to do a holodeck episode without doing a holodeck episode so here's the thing and i i did mention it before so i i don't love shoehorning harry kim's like sad puppy love life in here which just felt like i said the the gumbification it's the thing will make him do this week instead of a really earned trait but at the same time i get it we only have so much time to get us into the action and the relationships of this show early on because of that i wanted to dismiss this episode purely based on my negative reaction to Harry Kim's situation. But the more I watched it, the more I appreciated everything else going on, especially once the episode kicks into high gear, which is really kind of the second half of Act 2 and then all of Act 5, because I think that's where we get the really interesting look at using VR as a tool of intimidation and manipulation. It's where we land on this also sweet, tragic note with uh, Morena and Tuvok. I love the meeting of their two minds, the ability for both of them at different times to cut through the facade and expose the other one for who they really are. Here's a, one of the lines of dialogue that I really liked, uh, which Morena says to Tuvok, you believe you're in control, but control is an illusion. You believe that you understand the depths beneath you, but that too is an illusion. thought that was so nicely, it, just pure and clean a way to look at who he is with a metaphor that made sense with a character who made sense saying it i i loved every moment of her boiling down exactly what makes tuvok tick there absolutely is an intimacy to that albeit misplaced on morena's part maybe she could benefit from a little vulcan stoicism we'll see what happens maybe we can check in with her after she's had some time to socialize back at home i also love it when we have an episode where we don't have to have an enemy 
who is out for revenge or destruction. This is an antagonist who is out for compassion and understanding and friendship to combat her loneliness. It is a very sensitive story, and I think the performances just elevate this material even more. So while it may not be a perfect episode, I I think that this is definitely an episode that is far better than the sum of its parts. Uh, How about you, Norman? Well, I mean, I'm pretty much on the same page with a lot of what you said here. I'm just going to add a couple of my own points here. Uh, But I I, I love how you and I, because we've seen a lot of Star Trek and especially how this landed in the squarely in the TNG examples of, you know, the story with the Binars, the story with Moriarty. And uh, even I mentioned the perfect mate, kind of like the story with Kamala, how all of these characters uh, in, in some way or another were these manifestations that connected with certain characters and the emotional manipulation thereof. And I think that that's to me where this episode doesn't feel un, you know, entirely original, but that's okay. I, I think that one of the uh, one of the issues with Voyager at this time being kind of like at the back end of this what eighteen nineteen year stretch of Star Trek throughout the eighties and the nineties, it's gonna be it's gonna be some recycled material here and there, you know, because mm. if you take somebody that has seen the entirety of it. That's where you're going to see kind of like the cracks in the system where storylines are going to bleed from one series to another series to another series, either entirety or in bits and pieces. But then you also have new uh, audiences that have never seen 1100101 or um, uh, Elementary My Dear Data or Ship in a Bottle and just came on with Voyager and would have no reference point to any of that. That's where this episode actually does hold up because if you look at it as an encapsulated episode, it tells a very good story. It's incredibly well acted. I mean, yeah, Tim Russ, when you give him enough runway oh. to showcase how much he actually knows about his character, like I said earlier on in Observations, it is a masterclass, but also Sandra Nelson coming in as the guest star really complements his acting. Uh, not so much, I think, mm-hmm. Garrett's, because Garrick's is, is a certain awkwardness, which I'll get to in a second, but the way that she plays off of Tuvok's logic, or Miranda plays off of Tuvok's logic, but how that also plays off this great energy between Tim and with Sandra, knowing their characters so well and being able to make that relationship believable and the tragedy within that relationship at the end also believable. I think it's something that's very rare that you get to see uh, with a guest starring character playing against a main character. And I want to go back to Harry's Asian awkwardness for a second. (laughs) Yes. All right. Because I found that so incredibly real. And I know that I know maybe, you know, some of the audience members out there, they don't really have that point of reference, but I do. And for other Asian males out there, you may have felt a similar reference to Harry. And I like that Garrett leans into that. I like that. And, and maybe because he was sick, it just sold you know his performance a little bit more. But I like that mm. there's a certain discomfort that he gets the closer he gets to Morena. Like he almost can't, and especially touching her leg. Oh my gosh. That was like, I know that feeling. It's awkward <laughs> because you're making that physical connection with someone who never thought you would be able to actually make a physical connection with, even though it's a handshake or brushing up against their arm, or in this case, her awkwardly asking her to massage the knot in her leg. It's very authentic. And I applaud the writers for either knowing that or for Garrett leaning into that or maybe informing the writers that this is how, say, I would feel if this was a real situation. So I liked yeah. that there was that extreme level of authenticity 
with that particular writing for uh, Harry. But yeah, I agree with you, John. Like his gumbification of how are we going to turn Harry into the kind of like the the plot initiative of the episode of the week? Uh, you know, not really where I want to be with him because we've established such a better character with him from earlier episodes. Uh, but well, I w- and look, I, I I want to meet you a little more than halfway here, which is to say that I appreciate that you can have a character who has some awkwardness, some trepidation, especially when we meet this weird convergence of technology and real emotion. Like I think that is all fascinating stuff to explore. What I wish didn't happen is that his treatment of that became this very juvenile, like, I'm just going yeah. to purge my body of all emotions. Like, that. Mm-hmm. that's the part that didn't play true. I think there was a better way to get into that. For a ship that does not have a ship's counselor, right. but you have a guy like Tuvok, maybe this is just one more way to explore, like, ah, we're out here, this is hard to do. What are the mental disciplines? What are the tricks that I can do so that I can feel more like myself? No, I, and I think that's fair. But, yeah. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. not that's not the Harry Kim that we have crafted or the writers have crafted up until this point. And I think that's yeah. a little yeah. unfortunate. But, you know, we'll see what the audience has to say. We would love to hear the comments on that. Well, let's get into the morals, meetings and messages, John, of this episode. Yeah. I mean, look, at first, I think we play around this thing. And, well, and we come back to it. I mean, do you remember that look that Harry shot Tuvok in the conference room when they're talking about when now they've discovered what the problem is, or what they think the problem is. Oh, we have a sentient holodeck program. And Tuvok raises his hand like, yeah, I think it's because, uh, you know, her relationship with me and Harry gives that look like Harry's still jealous and you stole my girl right from under me. Yeah. I I know. I know. Right. Have you been running that program when I wasn't around and people will react in all sorts of different ways. And Harry may be feeling this a little too intensely, but then Tuvok maybe should have also known better, but here's what I like. I mean, if we're giving our characters an arc, we land there in that last scene because Tuvok shows emotional awareness about Harry and he shows compassion. And we can argue whether or not that is an emotional reaction that supersedes his logic in the moment. But I think he shows a real compassion and empathy to Harry in the end, in his Tuvok way. But it's real. It feels real in the end. So that's nice to see in those two characters. But I think the actual message here may be the other very important emotional life that we explore in this episode is this tragic story of loneliness and isolation. And Morena is all too understandable. She is lost in just doing her job because it's what she signed up to do. And she has gotten lost in the task and lost in that world that she has created for herself. And sure, she may want solitude from time to time. That makes sense. But what is this culture that allows people to disappear off the radar to the point that they can't socialize in a healthy way at all? Well, let me raise my hand and say that's us because we do that. And not all the time and not to everyone and not always to that extent. But as a metaphor, this thing holds up in that way. And I think that we can all do a better job of making sure that we don't 
fall into that or the people around us don't fall into that. How about you, Matt? Well, I, I want to go back to one thing that you said about uh, Tuvok and how he came to this uh, mm-hmm. emotional understanding of how to you know, reconcile with Harry at the end. And I can see the Vulcan. I can see Tuvok saying, well, it was the logical thing to do to acknowledge <laughs> that I needed to make myself emotionally aware to reconcile with Harry. I, I see that the Vulcans always yeah. have a way of logicizing well, things out yeah. of their, you know, situation. Yeah. I, I mean, I, how many times do we catch Spock in an emotional situation, but giving the logical argument for it? Right. Exactly. You know, yeah. and, and, and what I think is beautiful, like this is the way that Tuvok is giving his friend a hug at the end of the argument. Right. But he's doing it in a way that is in character with who Tuvok is, or more to the point of how Morena sees him, the Tuvok that he projects himself as being. Right. He's on brand, yeah. definitely, at the end of the he episode. Is. He is. Yeah. He is. I, I'm very much in line, you know, looking at the, the morals here or the message. And I, I think that it comes at a very interesting time right now, um, at least my reaction to this uh, and, and how it is – how was similar to coming out of kind of like the, the COVID lockdown, you know, and how we were all isolated and how even a, just a modicum or a quantum of cells, a modicum of interaction <laughs> with other people, you know, whether it's through Zoom, mm-hmm. whether it's through just a short meeting with people, whether it's buying groceries, you know, with masks on, we need socialization and companionship as human beings, right? There's something very necessary, whether we know it or not, whether we accept it or not, you know, about being around others, you know, they, even if we think that we'd be better off being by ourselves and isolating ourselves and removing ourselves from the drama or the conflicts, right? Purposeful isolationism as we saw in Tuvok and in Morena, that's a cautionary tale. Like it's like Harry, like it seemed to be the right short-term solution, but there are no shortcuts when it comes to how this plays out in the long-term game. Like how many times have we said to ourselves or convinced ourselves of this, I'd be better off taking care of things by myself than having to depend on other people. Okay. Again, that's a short-term solution, but there's a far longer-term harm when you create that distance and isolation from real interaction. And real interaction brings people, it brings them joy, it brings them friendship, it brings them connection to feelings and conversations and things that they never may have ever interacted or engaged with before, but you have to struggle through it. You have to struggle through the good and the bad of socialization and interaction, right? There's heartbreak when that happens. There's betrayal when that happens. There's jealousy, like you mentioned before, between Tuvok and Harry, you know, in the ready room, (laughs) right? It's hard connecting with people. It really, really is. And it's even harder to let people come into our lives. But at the same time, like the way that uh, Morena and Tuvok reconciled their situation at the end, to some extent, when you take that leap of faith and you let somebody into your life and you make that connection, something unexplainable happens. It's the most difficult thing to understand because it's such a strong, vulnerable part of you that you access, and it just doesn't make any sense at all because it's just a feeling. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com, and for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Coda. 
some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. Just one leftover flying virus creature is the only thing that could make this tiki bar more dangerous, especially if it was wearing a little three-armed Hawaiian shirt. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.